Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. On today's episode, you'll meet third-generation-turned-first-generation dairy farmer Katie Daughters Pyle. Not only is Katie a dairy farmer, but she is also a part-time Spanish teacher, entrepreneur, and advocate. But before we get to today's episode, let's go over the review of the week. It is titled Great Podcast, and it is from Three Chickens on Egg on Apple Podcast. This five-star rating and review says, whether listening in the combine or in the house, I thoroughly enjoy listening to Caitlin and her guests. I love hearing the stories from other women in agriculture and the sense of community and pride that each story provides. Well, thank you so much for your kind rating and review over on Apple, and I hope If you haven't already, you would consider leaving a rating and review over on Apple. This helps with the rating of the podcast and helps other find the stories of women in agriculture. I just want to say a quick hello to my new patrons of the Rural Woman podcast, Amanda, Kylie, and Sherry. These three ladies joined the Patreon crew, and I am so thankful for their support. If you'd like to ensure that the stories of women in agriculture continue to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast each week, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn how you can support the show and become a patron through Patreon. And friends, be sure to stay tuned until the end of this episode to hear a very special announcement that you're not going to want to miss. Without further ado, let's get to Katie's interview. Hi, Katie. How are you? I'm really well. How are you? I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited that you asked me to to join. I am excited to chat with you. I have so many questions. You are one fascinating (laughs) lady. So for my listeners who are unfamiliar with Katie Daughter Pyle, tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from. Okay, so I grew up, um, well, my name's obviously, you just said it, Katie Daughter Erpile, and I am a third generation turned first generation dairy farmer in the state of Maryland. I grew up in Pennsylvania, so I actually grew up in Mill Hall, Lock Haven area. Nobody knows where that is. It's um, I grew up half hour north of State College, so Penn State. Didn't go to Penn State. None of us went to Penn State. Fun fact. Um, but uh, now reside in Maryland, and um, yeah, that's. That's where I'm at now. Tell us a little bit more about how you got your start in agriculture back in Pennsylvania. So I grew up on my my family dairy farm. So growing up, I remember us having anywhere between 500 and 700 milking cows. Um, my my grandfather started the farm, and then my dad and my uncle, second generation. And I was like, I wanted to be a farmer. I that's I mean, if you would have asked me in high school, Katie, what do you want to do with your life? I was totally like gaming to be the part of the third generation for the, for my family farm. Um, I grew up in the fields, so I did a lot of field work, um, you know, mowing hay, driving truck, things like that. I was in the barn. I did have to milk cows uh, starting in sixth grade, which is, even though I still have a dairy, I, I hate milking cows. I hate it. Um, it's super boring for me. Um, I like, I just like a change of scenery, everyone else. Um, but anyway... Love my family, but uh, working with family is also a challenge, as I know that many people can attest to. And my husband, who is also a third-generation dairy farmer from the state of Vermont, 
we actually met at another farm. So my father had this rule that if any of us kids, I have a brother and sister, wanted to come home, we had to work elsewhere for at least a year. He didn't care where. It didn't even have to be um, a farm. My sister went to France. So <laughs> um, so I worked at another farm, actually, in Duisburg, Pennsylvania, where I met my husband. He had left his family farm, went back to my home dairy for a year and a half. And my husband always had this idea that he wanted to have his own dairy. And I'm like, you crazy. And I, I seriously thought this was going to pass because I'm like, no, we're at my family dairy. This is where, you know, this is where I belong. And again, love my family, but it just, there was some, there were some challenges there. So anyway, we, we left and at the age of 23, I signed a loan for $300,000 to buy nine cows. And so we moved, we just rented facilities. So we actually started in Virginia, relocated back to Pennsylvania, and then we ended up in Maryland when we actually purchased a farm. And so we purchased this farm in um, actually October of 2013. So we just celebrated six years here. So it's been a whirlwind of 11 years since I left my family, my family dairy. That's crazy, Katie. Like at the age of 23 (laughs) to take out that big of a loan to start a dairy farm. Like that is crazy. Good for you guys. We joke now because every time he says, hey, you need to sign something, I'm like, really? Because last time that I signed something, I owed this much money. So I always make sure I like triple read the documents that I'm signing. No doubt. So tell us a little bit more about your current dairy farm then. Yep. So our current dairy farm, we're in Union Bridge, Maryland. So we are literally right over the PA border. So I'm, I tell people I'm 20, about 25 minutes south of Gettysburg, which is one of my most favorite places on earth. I just, I love history. I'm a nerd. Um, so we are, we're in Carroll County. It's a very, it's an agricultural county, um, but we're kind of the black sheep. Everybody around us has Holsteins. We have jerseys. Everybody ships to, well, not everybody, but most ship to another co-op. We ship to Landa Lakes. Um, a lot of herds around here are registered and they have show cattle. We don't. We're commercial. We love our cows just the same. Um, but I think the unique thing about us, so we have we have grown from those 90 cows uh, 11 years ago to 800 total. Now, out of those 800, we are milking 380 twice a day, mostly jerseys. And to be honest, I really think that's one of the biggest reasons why we're still in business is because of the butter fat that we're able to capitalize on from the Jersey milk. Um, but even more so, our unique situation is that we're actually a feed purchase operation. So this farm only has 89 tillable acres. So we just, we grow corn every summer and have a cover crop of triticale. And it all depends on what what we feel like mixed in with the triticale for a cover crop. But um, we buy a lot of our, the majority of our feed, so we can focus solely on our herd. Hey, all we'll get right back to our episode after a word from our sponsor. Nestled in the tree-filled mountains by Kootenai Lake in Nelson, British Columbia, KL Skin Naturals was founded in 2013 by owner Leah. KL Skin Naturals is known for their award-winning natural deodorant that I have personally been using since early 2017, and I can tell you from personal experience, it passes the farming test. You know what I'm talking about. I feel good knowing that the deodorant that I'm using is free from harsh chemicals and scents. All of their products are produced by hand from the very first measure to the very last label. Each recipe was worked, researched, perfected, and tested on family and friends who all agree that there's something unique to be offered in the effective products that Leah is making. Listeners of the Rural Woman podcast can save 10% off their order with promo code WILDROSE10. 
So head on over to klskindeodorant.com to choose from their wide selection of clean scented natural deodorants, plus other natural skincare products such as fresh aloe skin cream, foot butters, and more. And now back to our episode. So you mentioned a little bit about why those Jersey cows, uh, because of the butter fat. For the listeners who are unfamiliar with the breeds of cattle for milking, why are some other reasons that you chose Jersey cows versus a Holstein? Well, I've always wanted Jersey cows, so I grew up with all Holsteins. So your Holsteins are your black and white cows, and they are the most popular, but Jerseys are the second most popular. Um, my husband grew up, grew up with all with all brown cows, and I joked that that's why I married him, but let's be honest, that's a half joke, because I still did. Um, <laughs> no, um, it's the butterfat, and honestly, they are... They're just so sweet. These jerseys, like, they can be divas. Don't get me wrong. They have the biggest attitude. Like, I don't know any other breed that has more of an attitude than a jersey. Um, and they act like they're princesses. They they just think that they're royal, which they kind of are. But the other reason I guess we, we chose them is they're, I just, and this, I don't know, sometimes I feel like this is more of my opinion, but they are hardier animals. So they can withstand the heat a little better than Holstein's. They have a smaller carbon footprint, so they don't eat as much, so they don't produce as much manure. Um, and I call them Katie-sized cows because, I mean, you're talking like a Holstein is about 2,000 pounds. Jerseys are about 1,200. I mean, that's a 1,200 pounds is a pretty big jersey, but they're, they're smaller in size, so they're much easier to handle. Um, and, like, they just, they're just a really a much hardier animal, in my opinion. But I just, I love my jerseys. Well, I think of the hashtag that goes around on Instagram of tongue out Tuesdays. And I feel like the Jersey cows <laughs> always outdo the whole scenes. I'm sure I will have people adding me for that. But uh, <laughs> I feel like... No, nope, it's true though. Right? They do. And I feel like they do have quite a bit of personality. And that's what I've heard from a lot of Jersey farmers is that they definitely have the personality to back up their good looks. So... <laughs> Well, you can't, you can't stay mad at a Jersey for very long because they're just so goofy. They just, they'll have you laughing in the next, you know, two minutes. Um, I will never forget if I can just share this quick. Um, so we do preg checks. So we have an ultrasound machine and so we do them ourselves and I'm usually running the clipboard and writing notes down. And so my husband's in the, in the barn preg checking these cows. Well, he, there's this Jersey that follows him all the time, just like all the way down the barn. And the one day he had turned around and the jersey took his wallet out of his back pocket. And I'm like, hi, hi, hi. You already take enough money. Put it back. Oh, so my goodness. Joke the jerseys. Yeah, it's, they're <laughs> crazy. They're, they're getting into so much. I don't have kids. And I'm like, I don't need kids. I have jerseys. No doubt. <laughs> Too <laughs> funny. Back in 2009, you were 23 years old. You took out this giant loan for a 20-year-old, really for any age of person, I feel like $300,000 is a lot of money. Um, looking back at your journey to where you guys are now, is there anything you would have done differently? I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. That's a really hard question to answer because, you know, when I, I think back about what was going through my head at that time, and we were both scared. Oh my goodness. We were so scared. People were calling us crazy. They were like, you're stupid for doing this. And because if you don't, if you didn't grow up in the dairy industry or you don't really know a lot about the industry, 2009 was the worst year on record for dairy farmers. Um, we've actually, you know, these last four years have been incredibly difficult. 2009, I mean, we went from record high prices just that year before in 2008. And I'm talking like 
average milk price is about, depending on your breed again, about $30 per 100 pounds of milk. That dropping from $30 to $12 and your expenses being the same, that's the year we decided to do this. My father was, I will never forget how disappointed he was when I told him we were leaving. But he told me later that he's like, oh, I thought you'd guys be back in a year. So, I mean, to answer your question of what I would do differently, I don't know if I could say, you know, I wish I had more confidence because we did it. We left. We took this risk. And while most, you know, people were maybe taking out that amount of money for a mortgage, I was taking it out for cows. Um, I don't think I really knew what I was doing back then, but <laughs> we're where we're at now. So I can't complain. For sure. I feel like most of us still don't really know what we're doing, but we give it our best shot every <laughs> single day. <laughs> so true. So true. So Katie, tell us what your typical day looks like for you, whether it's on the farm or off the farm. So because of um, the recent not so good prices in the dairy industry, I've had to do a lot off farm. Um, so I teach. I teach part time in our public school system. I am super, super fortunate um, to in the the county that I teach in, if you're part time, you get full benefits. Like I don't know where else you can get that. So um, I pretty much I do that for um, not just for the benefits. I mean, health insurance is obviously really important for us, but um, it's also a mental break for me. I mean, for four hours a day, I don't think about my situation here on the farm. I think about the 67 students in my care. So I teach Spanish, which is a lot of fun to teach. So it definitely makes a difference. Um, so in the morning, the typical day, I'm still up the same time my husband gets up because I do have quite a drive. So we're up at 4.30. I get to school about 7 o'clock and I teach from 7.30 until And then I come home here and I'm, I'm pretty much like I can jump in any type of machinery you put me in and go. So I just fill in where, where I need to go and where I need to be. We have a team here at Cal Comfort Inn. There's six, including my husband and I. Um, and five of them are Spanish speakers. So you guessed it. I'm like the in-house interpreter, in-house translator. Um, and I really, our team is more like our second family. So, you know, anything that we need to walk through or work through together, we do that um, together. So then in the evenings, uh, right now, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I created a program that I do in conjunction um, and through Dairy Girl Network. And it's open to all. So both male and female, but I also instruct an online Spanish program that I tailored specifically for the dairy industry. So you're learning the basics of Spanish, but the vocab that you're learning is all dairy related. So cow, vaca, farm, granja. So it's it's not just for farmers though either. It's for industry professionals that are on farms a lot that need to be able to communicate uh, with Spanish speakers. So that usually I teach two classes. So that's two live uh, one-hour classes, and then after that, usually I can sit down for about before I go to bed, but that all depends if I have stuff to grade. I, My life is very, very busy. Um, I was actually MIA from social media for like a week, and people were messaging me like, are you alive? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm drowning, but I'm here. I'm good. So that's a typical day for me. That is a very busy day, Katie. Very busy. So I want to go back to your Spanish speaking course that you are instructing for the dairy industry or for the egg industry. Did you find that there was a need for this? Oh my goodness, for sure. Um, 
And I just want to like preface this with, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, they're in this country. They should learn our language, which, yeah, to an extent you're right. But let's be honest here. I'm very grateful for people that want to actually do the work that can't find an American to do. Nobody wants to. I mean, I already admitted to you that I don't like to milk cows. Um, there is a huge need for it. And as much as, you know, people, non-native English speakers are, are learning, because I actually do that too when I have the time. I let, I'm ESL certified, English as a second language also. Um, but there's, there's a huge need. I mean, 80% of our workforce in the U.S. in agriculture are Latino. And, you know, to, just to ignore that is ridiculous. Um, these people come here for a better life to support their families. And in turn, they're helping us support our agricultural industry and communities. And what what better way to appreciate them than to share in their culture and to share in their language? I could, I mean, we could do a whole other podcast on just the stories that I get from my students, my online students of how taking the course has helped them. Um, just, just little things like, I mean, they're so appreciative. And if you think about it, if you would go to another country and you know, you don't speak their language, but they try to speak yours, you're going to be super appreciative of that. So it just, it does more than just help communication wise. It just helps in in building rapport and really strong communities. Absolutely. That's what I was thinking this whole time is you're building this community and making them feel included and just appreciating Mm -hmm. them for them being here, first of all, but also appreciating them for doing the work that you and I would prefer not to do. Like you said, you don't like milking cows. So if you can find somebody who who likes milking cows and you're able to make them feel welcome, I feel like that's a great trade-off. So that is a very, very cool program. It's, it's the little little things like, you know, in the morning um, on my weekends and I, that I feed calves, I'll walk in the parlor and it's just a simple, bienvenidos, buenos dias, you know, welcome, good morning. They're excited, you know, like they're, it's, it's their language. It's like, I feel like if people knew or understood the trials and the challenges that people that come here go through to get here, they would have a little bit more appreciation for that. But Spanish is also a super fun language. And believe it or not, it's one of the easier languages to learn. English is one of the hardest, but we don't know that because it's our native language. Absolutely. I have definitely heard that before. And I personally, I don't know a whole lot of Spanish. I have been, I've traveled to Mexico and I know the the basic like cerveza, por favor, that kind of thing. But (laughs) maybe I should be taking your course. (laughs) Hey, we're going to have another one in the spring to sign up. So come on, come on over. I don't know how well Spanish sounds with a Canadian accent, but I sure can give it a try. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be really, really interesting to uh, find out. I, I'm wondering what um, is Spanish for A, like E-H? For, <laughs> for A, like Canadian A. <laughs> if you could find that yeah, out that for me, that'd be great. on the alphabet a little bit. <laughs> hey, have you been over to shop Wild Rose Farmer lately? There are so many new great t-shirts, tank tops, stickers, and more. There's even official Rural Woman podcast gear now, including great t-shirts and hats. Feel good knowing when you're shopping on Shop Wild Rose Farmer, you directly support the Rural Woman podcast. And don't forget, members of the Wild Rose Farmer community save 20% off their first purchase. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com for all of the details. And happy shopping, y'all! So I read somewhere that you and your husband also started recently a fun little ice cream stand. Tell us more about that. 
Yeah. So um, with farming, again, and being first generation, it's like we're trying to rack our brains. Okay, what can we do other than Katie getting a fourth or fifth job here um, to make things a little easier? What can we do for, you know, an added revenue source? So, I mean, who doesn't like ice cream? If you don't like ice cream, I just, I don't, I don't know what to do with you right now. Um, It's very, very small. And a lot of people are like, how did you do this? First off, we save money like squirrels. <laughs> um, so this ice trailer, it was seriously like this little concession stand I found on Facebook Marketplace. It was disgusting. I can't tell you how much grease I scraped off the walls, but it's beautiful now because I had to repaint it and all that. But um, it's very small. It's just we set it up on the farm this summer. Obviously, we had to get through the whole uh, Maryland Department of Health uh, regulations, which are ridiculous, but that's another story. Um, we just when we started really, really simple, you know, it's just soft serve. So it's just chocolate melt and twist. And then we have the fun toppings and milkshake. And really, that's all it is. And I really have no desire to like, make an extravagant, you know, make it extravagant at any point. We gained such a really cool, we got to know our, our, our neighbors, even because I mean, we had people come in, I mean, regulars, and I'm talking like, almost every single night of the week can come in to get ice cream. Um, and on the farm, it's set up where they can go and they can see the baby calves. Um, now, if you if you did want to see the rest of the farm, um, you needed to sign up for a farm tour, which I also do, um, and we do charge for that. And I'm um, so anyway, we we do go on the farm, and then we had a couple special events that we did. So we're right now we're trying to figure out: do we try to keep doing both? Do we just do events? Do we just have it open on the farm? Um, and so people have asked me, they're like, okay, so after your first summer, like, how was it? And it was absolutely amazing. We we made money as far as we were able to pay back most of our investment that we put in. But as far as, like, pocketing anything, yeah, right. Like, you know, it's, when you start any new business, it's three to five years before you actually start making a profit. And any money that we did, you know, maybe make, I don't know, like 20 bucks here or whatever, is going into our employees' paychecks as a bonus to save you. Um, because again, without our team at the dairy, we would have never been able to do that. That is so cool. I just love that idea. And like you said, you got to meet your neighbors and people from probably outside of the agar community that just thought this was so mm-hmm. fun that they got to come have ice cream from where ice cream all starts from a dairy farm. So that is very cool. Right. And our ice cream is, uh, it's actually, so the biggest question was, is it made milk? And the short answer to that is yes. So we don't have the money and I have no desire to put a processing facility on this farm. It's nearly impossible for a first generation farmer to do. But one of the milk plants that our milk goes to, we're able, because we're one of the very few Jersey farms go in there, we're able to say, hey, you know, we'd like a custom mix made and they make it. And by the way, it's like 10% fat. So if you're on a diet, don't come visit the creamery. That if you just, want good ice cream, come visit. I'm just going to say that sounds extra delicious to me. So <laughs> so Jess Peters, she was on the podcast during our Dairy Month episodes back in June, and she told me a fun fact about you that I didn't know. And I almost feel oh like I'm talking to a celebrity here. So <laughs> Jess told me about you coining the phrase, ask a farmer, not Google. Can you tell us more about how that came to be? Yes. Yeah, so I I get so sick of people going other places to ask where their food comes from. And I do a lot of public speaking. And my very first question when I start is, 
First, I say, if you have a car problem, where do you go to? And the answer is usually mechanic. If you have an ear infection, who do you go to? Some smart-ass people will tell me WebMD, but most are like a doctor. And I'm like, then why are we not going to a farmer when we have questions about food? Why are we going to, why are we going to Dr. Oz? Why are we looking at celebrities for these answers when they have never stepped foot on a dairy farm? And so I just, I remember the, the night that it came to me, I was, just, I was sitting on the couch and I, one of my posts, and I think it was milking parlor, I did a Facebook live milking parlor video and I was getting a lot of comments and a lot of them were pretty positive, but then, you know, you always have the angry, hateful vegan activists that want to like kill you literally. And I'm just like, what? I just, it's, it's mind blowing to me because it's like, I know we're less than 2% of the population. But so many of us are out there trying to engage with the public. We're on social media. Maybe not all of us, but there is a good number of us. And we're doing a good job, but I don't think we're doing a good job of as far as getting getting out, and which is hard for farmers, right? Because we can't, we don't usually leave the farm. And if we do, we don't go too far. Um, but I just remember coming to me, I'm like, gosh, darn it. Ask farmers, not Google. Like why? And I'm, I'm guilty of going to Google for things. I mean, I ask Google all the time, but... Usually, if it's someplace that has a better source, I'm going to ask the source first because it's a computer you're asking. How about you ask the actual person? Absolutely. I know for me, coming from an agriculture background and then coming into the world of agriculture, it was completely mind-blowing to me. Just all of the things that I didn't know about where our food came from or how it was even grown. The advice of not going to Google is definitely good advice, not only for people not in agriculture, but also for people in agriculture. Because do you find mm-hmm. that even though, you know, you're talking to fellow farmers, there are misconceptions between farmer to farmer? Oh, for sure. And that especially happens, you know, in the difference of the sector of agriculture. So I don't know. I don't know much about chicken. I mean, and I, I say that lightly because I do now, because I, I was in an agricultural leadership group here in Maryland where I got to tour poultry farms and I actually got to talk to chicken farmers. Um, because I feel like one of the misconceptions with the public is, oh, you have cows. And the question I get asked most is, so what other animals do you have? I'm not old McDonald, yo. Like, I don't have every <laughs> every chicken, like, you know, every tip. I, don't, tip I, I just, it's mind blowing. It really is. It's, so yeah, it, among farmer and farmer, um, definitely with the different of agriculture, I can see that. You know, and I'm still learning things about um, hog farming and even grain farming. There's just when you are in your specific bubble, and so like mine is dairy. I know everything, almost everything about dairy. You can ask me almost anything, and I can answer. If we get off that topic onto another sector of ag, um, I can't. But I would direct you to somebody that could. Right. For sure. Have you been loving the Rural Woman podcast? Are you wondering how you can support the show? Well, friend, I'm happy to announce that I've recently joined Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, it's a membership-based platform that provides a simple way for you to contribute to the Rural Woman podcast every month and get exclusive rewards in return. Memberships start as low as $2 a month. Seriously, that's less than your grande, skinny, extra hot caramel macchiato with whip. Wondering what the rewards are? Well, they include promo codes for Shop Wild Rose Farmer, draws for the Rural Woman Podcast merchandise, shout outs on the show, and more. 
Your financial support of the Rural Woman Podcast will help make it possible for the stories of women in agriculture to continue to be shared. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to find out more information about how you can become a patron through Patreon. What do you think some of the most common questions you are asked dairy farming from a consumer standpoint? The biggest one I get is antibiotics. Um, you know, there's this thing out there that if it's not labeled non or if it's not labeled organic or if it doesn't say that it doesn't have addicts in it, there's it's that it's just a huge one and I wish it would I wish people would just either again come to a farmer for the answer or we can do better with marketing, I think. Um so antibiotics is one, hormones is another. I can't believe I'm gonna admit this, but I'm going to. I suffer from really crappy adult acne and I was just trying to research yesterday, like what else I can do for it. And there were so many articles blaming dairy for it because they're pumped full of hormones. And I'm like, no, you're not. And I finally, like I threw my phone across the room because I'm like, this is why our industry is where it is right now, because we're not correcting these people. We're not getting that information out that needs to be out there. Um, so I just, I couldn't, just couldn't keep going with that yesterday. Um, and then I guess a, a big one too is animal welfare. And I do feel like I do a, a pretty decent job on social media portraying like how we do care for our cows because you have the undercover videos, which again, another sort of day, they're so edited, most of them. Um, but there's, and honestly, I, there's not just one I can tell you because consumers have so many questions and rightly so, rightly so. I mean, we are less than 2% of the population and I just wish that we had a platform to be able to engage consumers on to to let them have a better view of what we do every day. Right. Well, and I think what you're doing on social media and even having your ice cream trailer, it just brings people closer to where their food actually comes from. So the more that you talk about it, the more that I talk about it, the more that we all talk about it as a collective community of agriculture, I think hopefully one day people will start turning more to a farmer than they will Google. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) So... Katie, if there was one piece of advice you could give to a fellow dairy farmer who may be struggling right now, what advice would you give them? Struggling just like in the business itself of, you know, wondering, should I get out? Should I sell? Just know that you are not alone. And my advice is to really look outside your comfort zone, look outside what you've known for your entire life and either look diversifying your operation. And listen, I'm a first generation farmer now. If I can do it, you can do it. We started, I mean, I dug money out of my savings to buy this little concession stand and it was wildly successful this summer. Um, So either diversifying or just getting out and into the public to do something different. And I'm not saying you have to teach Spanish, although I will say there is a shortage of teachers almost everywhere. And just to get out and, you know, put yourself in another uh, situation so you don't think about the farm for a couple hours a day. And I'm not saying ignore the, the problem completely. And just to give you a quick example, um, I shared this with some fellow farmers last year in a panel. I had a student last year in the middle school and he wasn't showing up to school very often and it got to be really bad and his grade was was really bad. And I finally went to the guidance counselor to ask, you know, about this, this student. And I was told that his parents were pretty much not in the picture. He's 14 and he was raising his four brothers and sisters by himself, a 14-year-old. 
And, you know, that really put things in perspective for me because I know, you know, you think of the saying, somebody always has it worse than you do. And I tried to help this kid as much as I could. And then one day he just disappeared. Like he just, I get, I got told he moved. Um, and so when I say that, you know, for four hours a day, I'm not here and I, I'm thinking about somebody else and I'm responsible for somebody else. It makes a huge difference. It really does. It just helps put things in perspective. So that's my advice, right or wrong. It might not be for everybody, but sometimes you just have to get out of your bubble. And whether that's diversifying or, you know, pouring yourself into something else for a little bit, I don't think either one hurts. Absolutely. And like you said, we link up 2% of the population. So agriculture in itself is so isolating. So either by getting out, out of your own bubble to work somewhere else or just be with other people, I think is is helpful advice to anybody in the culture industry. And I think honestly, the the big advantage there too, I'm the only dairy farmer at my high school. Do you know how many cool conversations I've had just in the six weeks I've been there this school year? And right. my students, they, you know, they're, they're just, these, most of my students are very, they come from very diverse backgrounds. They are city kids and they just are like sponges. They're soaking up. Like I probably would get in trouble how many times of a, you know, tangents I would go off on, on about milk or cows or whatever. And so, I mean, it's just another perk of getting off the farm for a while is sharing your life with somebody else that has no idea what your life is about. Very cool. So Katie, my last question for you, what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? The most rewarding part about being a farmer to me, one is the wide open spaces. Um, There's just something about it that, you know, whether I'm even looking out my window at it or I'm out in it. It's just, I don't know, it's a calming effect for me, um, but I think more so is the cows. I mean, and not just because they're jerseys, but when you look into an eye through the eyes of the cows, you are looking at what you're taking care of every single day. And knowing that, people ask me, how do you sleep? Or like, do you sleep? I'm like, first, I do sleep. Two, I sleep because I know that we have done everything that we possibly could during the day to make sure our cows are living their best life. They're well-fed. They're well taken care of. Um, my husband, uh, we call him Super Dave, um, also the cow whisperer because that's what he is. Um, and like, I don't know, people just look at our cows. They're very happy cows. And knowing that we have a part in their happiness, that's that's a pretty big reward. I love it. Good for you and Super Dave. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to kill me if he hears that. <laughs> Oh, Katie, it's been so good talking to you. I have really enjoyed getting to know you on social media and now through this podcast. Well, thanks again for ha- uh, having me. And if your followers want to learn more, we're on Instagram and Facebook under Cow Comfort in Dairy. And I forgot to mention our cool motto is where cows enjoy their stay. People legit think we're a B&B. We are not. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine the future plans for Cow Comfort in Dairy, the B&B where you sleep next to a Jersey cow. <laughs> I have lots of plans, lots of plans. I just need the money. So, hey, investors, hook me up. Right. And I will (laughs) link to where the listeners can find you in the show notes so they can find you and connect with you after the show. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks, Katie. We live on big spreads and tiny homesteads, farms, ranches, and everywhere in between. Neighbors separated by barbed wire fences and gravel roads, divided by section lines and field boundaries. We are wives and mothers, husbands and fathers, producers and consumers, held together by the threads of history and love. 
Here in these vast, wide open places, we answer the call of caregivers to the land, the animals, and our families with open hearts and willing hands. The miles of gravel and pavement between our homes can make the isolation of rural life feel insurmountable. Sometimes we struggle to reach out and ask for help, even though we never pause when one of our own needs our support. We come together in times of crisis and in times of joy. We celebrate together when the markets are up and hold each other together when the world falls apart. We support each other's families from the sidelines and in the trenches. We show up for each other, operating equipment, working cattle, cooking meals, and offering a shoulder to cry on when there's nothing else we can do. We may get knocked down, but together we get back up and carry on. We are fighters who never back down from a challenge or allow obstacles to stop us in our tracks. When the going gets tough, we rally. We rise from the ashes of heartbreak because this life is in our blood and it is part of our soul. Though we are proud of our independence and our strength, we know that together we can overcome challenges we can't handle alone. Introducing Rally, a charitable campaign aiming to bring agriculture together. The agricultural industry is like no other. Farmers and ranchers are truly the eternal optimists. We work against the clock and the elements on a daily basis. We stand alone in our fields and come together in need. The Rally campaign was built for this purpose, to stand together and to support one another. We are the faces of agriculture, no matter the size of our operations. We stand united whether we're conventional or organic, grass or grain finished, big egg or small farm. We're all in this together. The Rally Campaign is a fundraising effort to provide funds for selected agricultural organizations. From now until the end of March 2020, funds raised through the Rally Campaign will be donated to the Do More Agricultural Foundation, who is a not-for-profit organization focused on mental health in agriculture across Canada, and the Agri-Ability Project, whose mission is to enhance the quality of life for farmers, ranchers, and other agricultural workers with disabilities so they, their families, and their communities can continue to succeed in rural America. Purchase your Rally Campaign t-shirt over at Shop Wild Rose Farmer, with $4 of the proceeds being equally split between these two worthy organizations. For more information about the Rally Campaign, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com rally. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.